Uh, I, I had an opportunity a number of years ago to drive with a friend to Mullen, Idaho. I'm not going to expect you to know where that is. I didn't know where it was either. It was on the border of uh, Montana and Idaho in the middle of the trees. Uh, a town of about, of what I found out to be about like 600 people. Mullen, Idaho. My friend lived there in Mullen, and his girlfriend was the one that I was traveling with. She lived in the Seattle area, and we were going to drive all the way across the state of Washington and into almost across the northern tip of Idaho there to, to see her boyfriend, but she, her father didn't want her to drive alone, so she asked me. First time I ever drove a stick shift. Dangerous trip. Ended up getting there. She was so excited to see her boyfriend. Oh, so excited. We got there late on a Friday night. They showed me my room. I went downstairs, went to sleep, woke up the next morning, and there was nobody in the house. I asked, I I yelled, in fact, around. I started poking around that because I couldn't find anybody at all. I even thought that one of those Idaho mass murders had gotten them or the rapture had happened. (laughs) And, uh, And so I... Finally, went back down to my room, and I sat there for a while. About two hours later, uh, the door opened upstairs, and I kind of ran quickly to see who it was, and it was my, my friend and the girl I drove with. And I stood at the top of the stairs, and I said, hi. And they said, oh, we totally forgot about you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming that most of you in the room have... have a, have been a third wheel at one point in your life, have you? You know, you go and you spend time with those two people who are really friends, or your friend just started dating the girl, and then he says, oh, come with me, and then you're in it for like two minutes, and they're cuddling over there, and you're just like, why am I here? I'm not telling you that, because I I, I actually think that we believe that the, the Holy Spirit, we don't believe it, we act like the Holy Spirit is the third wheel of the Trinity. We totally forgot about you. He's not. It's a book written by Francis Chan. It's a good book. It's called Forgotten God. It's a good title. It's about the Holy Spirit. We, t- we tend to forget that we worship a God in Trinity. We, we, we talk a lot about Jesus, rightfully so. We talk a lot about God the Father. What is he like? But we don't spend a lot of time talking about the characteristics or traits of the Holy Spirit. And so, look, we want to try to change that over the next few weeks. We want to spend some time talking about the Holy Spirit. The beginning here, we're going to get in some passages of Scripture over the next number of weeks, but in the beginning here, what we want to do is we want to, I just want to give you some traits if I, of, the, of the Holy Spirit, some characteristics. If I were going to describe my wife to you, I would, I would list out a number of traits. Well, she's blonde, and she's cute, and she's sweet, and, like, and I develop wh- where I get those ideas from, how she's acted in ways, or what how her character's been revealed to me so that I believe those things about her. Well, I want to do the same thing with the Holy Spirit, right? He's cute and he's... <laughs> so here, here are the things today. And this is not, listen, ahead of this, I am not covering the entirety of the Spirit of God's characteristics right now. We're going to do this again next week, and then you're going to, we're going to fill in some more as we go. So if you walk away and go, he didn't say, you're right, I didn't say. But here are four characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Number one, he's a person. Number two, he's God. Number three, he's an author. And number four, he's an indweller. A person, God, the author, and an indweller. So let's work through those. First of all, he's a person. 
Um, several of you have seen the Star Wars movies, yes? Yes? Some of you are like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and light tabers. Um, so you, those of you who are light tabering are thinking to yourself, he better get this right or I'm writing an email. Okay. But you know the force in Star Wars, right? It's this ephemeral, non you can't touch it. The force is somehow everywhere and sometimes in you. And if you learn certain tricks, you can manipulate it, right? So that lightning comes out of your fingers or you say, these are not the droids you're looking for. You can change people's minds. Then when, when I spend time listening to people talk about the Holy Spirit, just in, in, in the church today, I actually think that they talk, it sounds like they're talking more about the force than it is the Holy Spirit. They, they believe that there's kind of a way that you can learn tricks in the trade where you can manipulate the Spirit and convince people of things or throw them around. In fact, that's a scene that I've seen on a, on a TV show on one occasion. I used to watch this show uh, when I was having lunch, when I was in seminary, and this, uh, this pastor, he was a famous pastor in the United States, he would, he would often do this. He would look in the camera and he'd say, okay, you ready? Are you ready? Here comes the Spirit of God. And it's like he was gathering the Spirit up in the back in a fireball, right? And here, like street fighter. And then lightning out of his hands. Is that what the Spirit's like? Is the Spirit... Can you gather them up in a fireball and throw them at people? They had a school. His, his church had a school for how it is that you could learn to, to use the Spirit. That's the language they use, to use the Spirit and the Spirit's power. Well, that sounds like the force to me. In his wonderful book, uh, Rediscovering the Holy Spirit, Michael Horton, he's a theologian, he, he talks about how he was reading through a number, of, uh, a number of books and the way that they understand the Holy Spirit. And one of the ones that he came across is a popular book that's been made into a movie called Heaven is for Real. It's a story of a little boy, I think his name's Colton, who goes, goes to heaven, supposedly. Here's what Horton wrote about that book. He said, deceased grandparents were described in detail so was Jesus. Sitting on his lap, the boy Colton discovered that Jesus, with sea green bluish eyes, had a rainbow horse. Even Gabriel was described in full color along with God the Father, also with blue eyes. Yet the Holy Spirit was described as, quote, bluish but hard to see. Now, I don't want to be overly critical of that because, to be honest with you, when I was growing up, that's the way I understood the Holy Spirit was kind of this ghost. And the reason I say that is because I used to, I grew up in a mainline Christian church, and we used to say, I didn't know what they were talking about most of the time, but we used to have, there's a moment in the service every week where you sang what's called the doxology, and it ends with Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Oh, that was my favorite. Oh, man. <laughs> now, as a little kid, my mom used to tell me that I used to call it the Holy Goats, which made more sense to me, right? I, because I know what a goats, it, goats are, and I'm happy to have them around, but if you're telling me there's a ghost somewhere nearby, I'm, I'm freaked out. It's a little creepy. So it's, it's, it's a tendency among Christians today to think about the Holy Spirit in these sort of ephemeral, non-personal ways. And yet, what you find in Scripture is that he is described very much as a person. And by that, I mean he's got like a will and 
a mind, and he's as much a person as you're a person, or as the son is a person, or the father is a person. He does personal stuff. Give you some examples. John 15, verse 26. When the Advent, Jesus speaking to his disciples, Jesus is saying, I'm going to go away, right? But it's good that I go away because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He calls the Holy Spirit the Advocate. Listen, when the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Do you know what that word Advocate means? It means lawyer. You have the holy lawyer in you. They'll change all your lawyer jokes, won't it? Yeah? <laughs> he intercedes for us, as language in Romans 8, 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So he's an active, personal God who is speaking and thinking. You can grieve him, which makes it sound like he's probably got some sort of emotional life. Yes, I get grieved. Spirit gets grieved. He's a person. It's not a bluish mist or a malleable force. He's a person. The question, though, is what kind of person is he? All right, so second. Well, he's a God kind of person. In fact, the old creeds in the Christian church used to say that, that he's God of very God, just so that you're clear about how much Godly he is. So you get passages in the scriptures that equate the Holy Spirit with God himself. Uh, Acts 5 this is a story in the book of Acts when uh, there was a guy named Barnabas who had given a whole bunch of money to the church. He'd come forward and said, listen, he sold a piece of property. He gave all the proceeds from the property to the church for the, for the, for the apostles and the leaders of the church to do what they wanted to do with it. And they, everybody just thought, that's amazing and wonderful. Good for you, Barnabas. Well, in response to that, this guy named Ananias says, ooh, if I want to get that kind of fame and recognition as well. And so here's what Ananias does. Acts 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. So he comes and he claims, this is all the money that, I've, that I got for that property, but he quietly said to his wife, we're just gonna keep a little bit back. So we wanna get the recognition, but we also wanna get some of the money. Then Peter, verse three, said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit? So who's he lying to? The Spirit of God and have kept for yourself some of the money you've received for the land. The end of verse four, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Wait a minute, he, he lied to the Holy Spirit and lied to God? Yeah, because the Holy Spirit is, is God. Second Corinthians uh, chapter three, verse 18, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He's God, a very God. If you want some theology, Herman Bavink, who wrote one of the great systematic theologies, old Reformed guy, Dutch Reformed man, here's what he says. Here's some, here's some good theology. So will make you excited about reading theological textbooks. Ready? 
quote, an array of divine attributes are ascribed equally to God's spirit and to God himself. So when the spirit of God is described in scripture, you you have an array of divine attributes attributed to him. Eternity, omnipresence, he's always everywhere. Omniscience, knows everything. Omnipotence, completely powerful. The spirit is the one who by his anointing equipped Christ for his office. He equips the apostles for their special task, distributes a wide assortment of gifts and powers to believer and believers, and above all, causes the fullness of Christ to dwell in the church. And so we, listen, we as Christians, who we call ourselves orthodox, meaning that we believe the Christian creeds from years and years ago, we've inherited a faith that was given to us from generations past. We call ourselves orthodox, and this is what we say. We say that we worship one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We worship one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> Some of you are like, what? Wait a minute. What? How, how does that work? And Give me an illustration. All right, so some people at this point come in and say, okay, so the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are like an egg, which has a shell, and it has the white of the egg, and it has a yolk, and the Spirit is like that. The problem is that that's heresy, all right? <laughs> it's what we call tritheism. It's, it's, you can separate a yolk from its you can separate an yolk from the egg and it's still a thing. These three are of the same substance and eternally joint. They're not three different gods. They're one God, eternally existing in three persons. Oh, okay, okay, well, that's, maybe that's not good. Uh, what about, he's like, he's like the different forms of water. You can have ice and you can have uh, liquid and you can have steam. They're all water existing in different forms. Okay. The problem is that's also heresy. It's, it's called modalism. And God doesn't exist in three different modes. He doesn't show up one moment as the spirit and then one moment as Jesus and one moment as the father. He's always three and one. So how do we describe him? Give me an image, Jeff. All right. This is on the shoulder of my friend. He has a tattoo of this on his shoulder. If you want a tattoo, get this one, okay? Right? What we say is we have one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Son is God. But the Father is not the Son The Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit. You want to take a picture of that? You can put it on your shoulder. Yeah? (laughs) We worship one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, wait a minute. I can't understand that. You expect me to worship a God I can't understand? Oh, yeah. Absolutely, I expect you to worship a God you don't fully comprehend. You know, you do realize this after a while. I hope in this church anyway, you've come to realize this, that there are these mysteries that exist in God that are glorious and yet baffling. How, does, how is it that Jesus is both 100% man and 100% God and never loses any of his godness 
in the process of becoming man. Well, that's difficult. Yes, it's difficult. You'll spend all eternity trying to figure that one out. How is it that God can both be completely sovereign and you and I can be completely responsible for the very acts he's sovereign over? See, the way it works is that there, there is a limited amount of knowledge that you and I have, right? And that, and that there are things outside of our realm of knowledge that exist in the knowledge of God, which is infinite, yes? So you should expect the God you, you serve and worship to have knowledge about things that you don't have right now. And isn't that glorious? You want a God like this. You want a God like this. You want a God who's hidden sometimes by the mist and you don't know how great and, and glorious that he is. But this is the God you will serve. Three in one. He's a person, he's God. He's, he's the author. Who wrote the Bible? I ask that sometimes in theological classes. Who wrote the Bible? And uh, it's always funny. People answer, the, answer it uh, several different ways. Usually, well, the Bible is written by a number of people, depending on the author of the particular book. Right. That's absolutely true. Who wrote the Bible? Well, people. And? And God. So it's both a people book and a God book. Yeah, that's actually what the Bible says about itself. So here, Mark 12, verse 35. Here's what Jesus says about the Bible. This is his view of what you're reading when you're reading Scripture. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? So he's engaging, of course, in the temple with all these people, and he's trying to make an argument. Why, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, now Jesus is going to quote the Old Testament, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So that's a quote from Psalm 110. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm gonna quote the Old Testament here, but in doing so, I'm gonna acknowledge that number one, it was written by David, who spoke through the Holy Spirit. So who wrote it? Well, David did, and the Spirit did. Similarly, you get another example in 2 Peter 1, verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. So he's talking about like Amos and Obadiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel, the prophets. No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. So for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, Amos, though human spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's the way the Bible works. What you're reading is human words, but they're the Spirit's words at the same time. Do you ever come across people who will say sometimes, um, you know what I like about you is you're a word guy. I get this. I like, I like you, Jeff. You're a word guy. I'm a spirit guy, they'll say. You're really focused on the word. I'm really focused on the spirit. You know, I, Here's the way I want to respond on every occasion. Um, the spirit is word guy. So I'm not suggesting in any way that there's no such thing as prophecy or anything, but the spirit does not contradict his word ever, ever, because he's not a liar. He doesn't change his mind because he's God. He wasn't wrong before and right now. 
He hasn't come to some new understanding because he's God. What he wrote, he wrote. He inspired these people to write. And what you read when you read the scriptures are God's very words. This has some implications, right? I mean, you, there's an old story about a, a pastor who was, had a guest speaker in his church. And the guest speaker came up and said, listen, I've been asking the Lord for something this, to share with you all week. I've been asking the Spirit to give me something all week, and I, I, have, I have nothing. And so this morning, I'm, just, I'm sorry, that's all I have. And he came back down. And the pastor of the church picked up the Bible that he, the, the man had left in the seat and handed it to him and said, the Spirit gave you all you need. The Spirit's a word guy. So we can say it's really wrong to divorce the word of God from the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God uses the word of God to form the people of God. The Spirit of God uses the word of God to form the people of God. That's what he's doing. But how does he do that? Because we know that the Spirit is with us. In fact, I'm going to say that in a second, that he dwells us. So how does the Spirit use the word to form you? Well, I'm going to tell you how he doesn't, and then I'm going to tell you how he does, Okay. Here's how the Spirit doesn't do that. The Spirit doesn't contradict what he's already, already revealed. God's morality doesn't change. So I say that because I've had lots of experiences with people. I've sat in counseling rooms before with some people. I remember one guy in particular who said to me that uh, he was leaving his wife. And I said, that's terrible. Why are you doing this? He said, because the Spirit of God told me to. And I, I said, you're a liar. I'm not a very good counselor. <laughs> I said, you're a liar. He said, you can't call me a liar. You haven't experienced what I've experienced. I heard from the Spirit that I should leave my wife. I said, you didn't. Here's why you didn't, right? The two shall become one flesh, and what God has joined together, let no man separate. That's what the Spirit said. So you're telling me now that what the, the Spirit decided that in your case, eh, that doesn't really matter. That he somehow changed his, his direction, morality, in this, in this particular case? Yeah, I don't think you're telling me the truth. came across a, a woman, in fact, uh, who in, in a church that I served years and years ago. She had stopped attending the church. I came across her in the town I lived in. I said, Rachel, I haven't seen you for a long time. So it's so good to see you. How's it going? She said, it's going Great. I said, have you been, I, I haven't seen you at church for a long time. She said, no, no. I was at home one Sunday morning and I got up late and I sat down and I read my Bible and I felt the spirit telling me in that moment that this is where you need to be. Not with the gathered church. You need to be here with me, communing with me individually. And so I've done that ever since. It's a, it's, she said, it's a matter of obedience for me. And I said, that's not the spirit. And she said, what? That's what? You can't say that? I felt it. Here's why it's not the spirit. Don't forsake the meeting of yourselves together as is the habit of some. But encourage each other daily as long as it is called today. That's from Hebrews 10. Do you know who wrote that? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, and the writer of Hebrews. But yeah, the Holy Spirit wrote it through the writer of Hebrews and he gave it to us because that's his will, for you to gather together with the body of people you call the church, who you don't like sometimes, and drive poorly and take your parking spot and don't move over and 
You gather together with them. So don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Don't, don't somehow back up your personal preference with the Holy Spirit, who clearly told us these things. So that's not, not how the Spirit does it. Here's how he does it, though. The Spirit will apply what he's already revealed in your current situations. That's the beauty of the Spirit's work. He will take what he's already revealed in Scripture, and he will apply it in millions of different ways. So, for example, you get on the plane, and you're there, and the guy next to you starts talking to you, and you're like, I just want to sit here and not talk to you. I want to pretend this is my own plane with my headphone. I don't want to talk to you. The guy keeps talking to you and talking to you, and you're like, stop, and you try to have short answers, and he keeps talking, and finally you get this thing inside of you. You're not sure what it is, but you have this prompting, this desire inside of you. You know, you probably should talk to that guy. He seems really open to discussing things with you. I wonder where he's from and his background, and I wonder if he knows Christ. And you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Do I know if that's the Spirit or not? Can I just tell you that's the Spirit? You know why I say that? Make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. That's Go and make them. Even on the airplane, make them. So you've got the revelation from God the Holy Spirit now being applied in a present circumstance in, in, in your life. Years ago, I was working at a camp. And uh, the guy who was my direct superior at the camp, I, I did not like. And I cannot tell you why. I was just a jerk. I just didn't like the way he looked at me and acted toward me. And don't, you can't tell me what to do. I still have some of this in me, believe it or not. So I didn't, I didn't like the way he was acting, and he, I had to go away for a weekend to, have a, to, have a, to go to a friend's wedding. It's going to be it's supposed to be a great weekend, but I, while I was away from the camp that weekend, I was devastated in my spirit. I could not rise myself up. A friend who I was with was like, what is wrong with you, Jeff? And you know what was going on? I felt sick about how I had treated this man. I was having this debate with God all the way through the weekend, thinking, why are you pestering me about that? I've done nothing wrong to this guy. Right? Well, what's the Spirit doing there? Well, uh, Ephesians 5, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Jeff, are you, are you submitting to the, to the guy who's your boss? I went back and I, I apologized to this. You ever have this feeling when you get in a fight with your spouse? You drive away, I'm justified. And you hear this little like, no, you're not. <laughs> and then you, all of a sudden you feel these, the scripture starts rolling through your head a little bit and truths that are from scripture are being prompted. Who is that? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. That's the Spirit of God using the Word of God to form the people of God. You just happen to be the person of God at that moment. I got an email from a guy actually just a little while ago, who said, I'm leaving, I'm leaving the church. Which I, I hate reading that. His, he said, I'm, I'm leaving the church. And the reason I'm leaving, the, that was the title, the subject line, I'm leaving the church. And he said, um, the reason he was leaving the church was because he said, you, you, I don't like you talking about me in your sermons. <laughs> now, I've never met him in my life. I, never, I don't know who he is. And so I wrote back and I said, I'm... I have never, I don't, sorry, I don't, I don't know you. He said, yes, listen, I don't know, maybe you don't know me, but someone probably told you about me because the week, last week when I showed up to church, you said these particular things and that's exactly my circumstance. You told a story exactly about me and that was about me and I don't like you defaming my name in public. 
And I was like, mm. <laughs> brother, you just heard, you've got the spirit after you now, right? And what the spirit's done is he's applied this, the sexual ethics of the Bible to you in this moment. You should be thankful that he's forming you. Probably a sign that you're one of his. He's an author. He's a person. He's God. He's an author. Finally, he's, he's an indweller. Finally for today, anyway. He's, he's an indweller. So Jesus is uh, resurrected, and he's speaking to his disciples. In John chapter 20, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. Now listen to what he says here. He's resurrected. He's going to ascend to heaven. As the Father sent me, why, did, why, did, why was Jesus sent? Well, the answer is to seek and save the lost. As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you to do what? Well, seek and save the lost. Jesus is passing on his ministry to his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples, yes? And with that, verse 22, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, why is the Holy Spirit coming upon them? And the answer is for the, for the mission. I, wa I want you to do what I've done, and you need the empowerment to do it, so I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the question that you need to ask, though. If you go through the entire Bible and look at the way that the Holy Spirit comes upon people, you'll find in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit often came upon builders of the tabernacle or Samson when he's standing underneath the pillars and he's really mad at the Philistines and God gives him power so he can crush everything. So the Spirit of God has come and he goes in the Old Testament. He comes upon for special moments, and then he goes and comes and goes. In what way is the Spirit being given to these disciples that's different than that? And what you find out in the New Testament is that he's there indwelling now and never leaving. What Jesus is giving them is the comforter, the advocate, the indweller, the one who will always be with you everywhere you go. And that means a couple of things, all right, as we finish. Two things. Number one, that means that wherever you go, the Spirit is there too. Wherever you go, the Spirit is there too. So 1 Corinthians 6 the Apostle Paul plays on this idea. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you receive from God. You see, you're not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. So you are, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you, you're where God dwells. You, remember the Old Testament? There's big temple and God dwelled in the Holy of Holies. You are that now. Do you know what happened back in those days if a priest worshiped God wrongly? They used to tie a rope to their ankles when they would go and do their yearly worship activities in the Holy of Holies so that if they messed it up, they could drag him out because he was dead. There's no, no error. That's how, that's how seriously God takes his temple, the place where he dwells. And now you're that temple. And so he takes very seriously what you do and see and act. See, you've been bought with a price, so honor God 
with your, with your bodies. I know we used to have these little bracelets that said, you know, what would Jesus do? You know what? Actually, it, it's better said, what would I do knowing the Holy Spirit is in me? So that's W-W-I-D-K-H-S-I-I-M. <laughs> We're going to sell those in the back. <laughs> Seriously, there's nothing you look at any given day that the Spirit isn't seeing. There's no place you go. There's no words you speak. There's nothing. Spirit's in you. He's always there. So honor God with your body. You've been bought with a price. You're not your own. But secondly, the, the indwelling spirit doesn't just, doesn't just mean the spirit's always with us. It also means the spirit's always with us in the sense that we have an intimacy now, yes, with God. The kind of intimacy, by the way, that people in ages past never had. You are more privileged in your relationship with God today than at any time in the history of the scriptures because you've got the spirit of God dwelling in you and that means an intimacy. The apostle Paul in Romans 8, he picks this up, verse 11 of Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. For those who are led, verse 14, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So the spirit's presence in you is a sign that, he's, that God is your daddy. That you have this relational intimacy with your daddy. There's sometimes my kids come home, and uh, I don't always pay attention to their pleas for getting them drinks and stuff. And they'll say, dad, 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 dad. <laughs> it's not that I don't hear them, I just don't care. The, and then they say, Jeff. So then I perk up, and the first words out of my mouth are, don't you tell me that. Don't you call me that. See, everybody else in the world calls me Jeff. Everybody. There's only three people on the planet who get to call me daddy. And you're one of them. So don't you forsake that. Well, you weren't listening. All right, just come up, get in my face and say, Dad, I love you. Then I'll do it, right? But there's a, you understand there's a relationship that you have with your father now that you call him Abba, you call him Daddy. And you know what daddies do with their kids, the way they think about their kids? You, you do know this, yes? When I, first, when I first had my son, Ethan, like my whole world got wrapped into this little person. I was the first one to hold him. He was crying and crying and crying, and I started speaking to him, and he quieted right down. I was like, oh, it doesn't work now. So <laughs> but I, spoke, I spoke to him, and I, re I remember giving him this first bath. He used to have these legs that used to pop up to his chest like there's little frogs, like that, because he'd been in the womb like that, just for stuff. So I used to push him down, and they'd go, wonk, wonk. And so I said, doctor, come here. Is this normal? Because I don't want to have frog leg kid for the rest of my life. And I'm a little bit worried. Is this normal? I'm just like, yeah, it's fine. It'll just, it'll go back to normal. Kind of give him a bath and all sorts of things. And while I'm giving him a bath, I'm looking at his head and I'm saying, your head is really spherical. It's like a ball. I'm like, what? Doctor, can you come over here? Is, like, is this, is that a normal head? Because uh, they usually say there's supposed to be something in there that he's not as big as it's not, he's like fused together as so he's going to be okay, Right. He's going to be okay. The doctor's like, man, would you just leave me alone? Like every little thing with this kid. But it is every little thing, isn't it? 
remember getting on the freeway and driving home from the hospital. I was going like four Ks an hour down the highway and people flying by and I'm, you stupid, slow down. I just wanted to have a yellow car that said baby on board on the side, like printed on the side because I'm so worried about it. And as he's gotten older, I feel like I'm reliving every stage with him. I didn't like high school the first time. It's worse the second for me. <laughs> but that's what you do, dads. That's what you do. Your heart is pinned to these little people. You do realize that your father, your daddy in heaven, has his heart pinned to you. That when he thinks about you, he's not sad that you're his. He rejoices in your victories. He sorrows in your defeat. He picks you back up off the ground, dusts you off and said, let's keep going. He's always with you, always loving, always caring. He's the God who indwells. Why would you forsake this discussions with him then, right? Why wouldn't you call him daddy? There's more to come, okay? You gotta come back next week because I got plenty more to say, right? Next week, next week. So cliffhanger, I don't know. God, whatever, let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful for this passage, these passages of scripture. I'm thankful for your spirit. Would you help us to know him more? Spirit, empower us, we pray. Help us to see your presence among us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.